0: This morning, the challenge was to believe that what God assigned us is possible. That was the challenge. Tonight, we're going to go to the next step. I'm going to challenge you to be faithful to that call. If I can speak, you can do this. I promise you. Jeremiah 27. The countries that are around Israel, a whole bunch of little countries, are panicking because Nebuchadnezzar is on the march. He's conquering the world. And they don't know what to do about it, so they decide they're going to form a coalition. Well, get all, let's all get together and maybe we can take them on. So they send a delegation, all these countries, to Jerusalem, and they want to talk to King Zedekiah. Look, if we form an alliance, we can take on King Nebuchadnezzar. We could beat him. We can stop this onward march. And it makes good military sense. I mean, that's exactly what I'd be tempted to do. If I were Zedekiah, that would sound really good. Nebuchadnezzar, I can't take him on. Let's form an alliance. But in Jeremiah chapter 27, the servant of the Lord is about to explain to everybody why it won't work. Jeremiah 27 and verse 4. And command them to say to their masters... Here's the word they have to send back. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to your masters... I have made the earth now there is the source of God's authority those are the opening words to your Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the final message to the planet. Worship Him who made. It's been the message of God's people all along. The three angels' messages, if you read the whole Bible, is not brand new in the last days. It has always been the message. Read through Acts, read through Jeremiah, read through the Psalms. Worship Him who made. That's the source of His authority. That's the reason God sits on the throne. Revelation 4, verse 11. The reason they bow down and worship God, Thou hast created all things. That's the source of his authority. Verse 5, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are on the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. In other words, God says, I establish kingdoms and I establish political powers and I will do what I would like to do. Verse 6, And now, let this sink in. Now I have given all these lands... Into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. What did God just call Nebuchadnezzar? My servant. And the beast of the field I have also given him to serve him. So all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the time of his land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. It's the prophecy of Daniel 2 written in advance. There's already word on the street. God has already told everybody Nebuchadnezzar will not be on the throne forever. I have allowed him to grow this empire. But eventually, after his son's son is on the throne, Belshazzar, Another kingdom will come. It's Daniel 2 in advance. The lion with eagle's wings will be followed by the bear. And the message in this passage is absolutely clear. We could finish the sermon right now with one point. Nebuchadnezzar is reigning because that's what God wants. The earth belongs to Him. He makes the decisions. Father in heaven, as we contemplate what this book says, I know again, that I don't have the ability to stand here. do You know how hard these moments are. And I know who I am. I know where I've come from. I know what I'm made of. And I'm but dust and ashes. And I'm asking for a blessing tonight. I'm asking that You would still my mind and quiet my heart. And that the voice I hear tonight would just be yours. I'd like to know that you're smiling when I'm finished because I've been faithful. And I'd like for the only voice to be heard in this auditorium tonight to be yours. So I'm asking that you'd bless me and take that coal from heaven's altar and touch my lips. Forgive my sin. Cover me with the blood of Christ. Let me be found, Lord, your faithful servant tonight. If this is the last thing I ever stand up and preach, then I'm asking that you would place my hands on the pillars and let me pull down the house of Dagon tonight. I I just want to know that you're doing this with me. And Father, when Jesus speaks tonight, we will follow will follow the lamb wherever he goes. And I ask for that blessing tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading this story the other day about a very, very successful man. He'd worked a long time. He had a long, long, happy and successful career, and he came to the end of it. It was time for retirement. And he wanted to sit back and enjoy the fruits of his labor, and that was something he'd earned because he was really successful, more successful than most. In fact, this guy was so successful when he got out of bed in the morning and walked over to the window of his bedroom and opened the drapes and looked outside, he owned everything that he saw. I mean, even if he leaned out the window a little bit and looked to the horizon, he owned it all. He could not see past the bounds of his property that's not because he's living on some big spread in the, ran- in, in, in the state of Texas. They're so proud in Texas. And although as a Canadian, I've got to say, Texas seems small. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it took me 14 hours to drive to an airport from my town. It's not because he's on a big spread in Texas. That would be impressive. That impresses a lot of people. But the truth be told, he didn't just own everything he saw. This man could get on a horse and he could ride in any direction for three weeks and never leave his property. Because the man in the story was Nebuchadnezzar, the man who conquered the whole known world in his time. And he quite literally gave us the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Now, we know historically that he didn't build the Neo-Babylonian Empire all by himself. His dad gave him a running start at that empire. They'd been under assault by the Assyrians for a long time. They kept showing up at Babylon, the Assyrians, and sacking the city and attacking it. And so Nebuchadnezzar's dad went up there and finished that problem. He conquered the Assyrians and paved the way for Nebuchadnezzar to be a wild success. And as you know, he was a wild success. Before you know it, he's down in Egypt knocking on their door. And by 597 BC, he is in the apple of God's eye, the city of Jerusalem, And he takes it too. He is now the undisputed king of the ancient world. He is so successful that everybody remembers him to this day. You can travel around the world and talk to people in various cultures all over the planet. And if it wasn't a culture that was isolated from the rest of the world, they still remember him to this day all over the planet. There is a latent memory of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Everywhere on this planet, he was that successful. And now in this story, in Daniel chapter 4, after a huge success, I mean, huge successes on the battlefield, huge successes rebuilding the city of Babylon, he is proud of what he's done. And he has a right to be proud. He did more than most of us could even begin to imagine. He looked at the old temples in the city of Babylon that his dad had been working on, and they were kind of tattered and broken down in an embarrassment. And the Babylonians, before Nebuchadnezzar came to the throne, were kind of embarrassed of their old Babylonian religions. And so he ripped down all the old pagan temples, and he put up brand new ones, and they were gorgeous and people became proud of their we know Nebuchadnezzar had a religious streak in him he was a spiritually minded kind of guy and he rebuilt those temples and now everybody's so proud they're starting to name the captives after their gods Belteshazzar Shadrach Meshach Abednego there was a revival of Babylonian religion under Nebuchadnezzar then he turned his attention to the royal palace I mean his dad had a nice house it was pretty nice But Nebuchadnezzar thought that is not nice enough for the king of Babylon. And so he worked on it and he imported cedar and gold and silver and he decked that place out to the point where other kings from other nations would visit Babylon and look at it. Their jaws would drop because they could not afford to build what Nebuchadnezzar had built. It was spectacular. Then he worked on the city wall. You know about the city wall because it comes up in almost every prophecy seminar that you've ever been to. It was so high, no army could go over it. So thick, nobody could go through it. A wall so big that Herodotus says you could actually take a double chariot and turn it around on top of that wall. A triple line of walls around the ancient city of Babylon. And when he was done that, everyone inside felt perfectly safe. They would say things like, I sit as a queen. And you find that language in the book of Revelation. They felt entirely secure inside the city. Inside the city, he did a couple of other things that are mind-boggling. Somehow he managed to engineer a tunnel underneath the Euphrates River. Went from one side to the other. We're still not quite sure how he managed to pull that off. It is an engineering marvel of the ancient world. And then above the river, you know the river ran through Babylon, and, and there were walls along either side and bridges across. He engineered a bridge over the Euphrates, with special pillars on it that would slow the water down so the bridge would never erode and the water also would never erode the foundations of Babylon. He was an engineering genius. It was spectacular. And then one day, his wife, just kind of a generous term, I checked this again the other day, and she was a concubine, but one of his favorites apparently because she came into the throne room And said to him, Nebi, I'm not sure she would call him Nebi, that probably would, but something, Nebuchadnezzar, honey. Yes, honey, what's the matter? She said, I am so happy here in Babylon. Good, he said, I worked hard to make it pretty. She said, I know, it's really nice, but... (laughs) No guy likes to hear that. This is such a nice birthday present, but... (laughs) What's the matter, honey? She said, well, I grew up in Persia. Have you ever been to Persia, Nebuchadnezzar? Well, of course I've been to Persia. I conquered everything. What about it? She said, did you happen to notice that in Persia we have big, beautiful, snow-capped mountains? And they're gorgeous, and I miss them. And Babylon is nice, but we're out here on the plains of Dura. It is so flat here, you can watch your dog run away for two weeks. You can still see him on the horizon. (laughs) and, 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 And this is gorgeous. But I miss my mountains. He built her a mountain in the middle of the city. He built her a mountain, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which the Greeks called one of the seven wonders of the... I mean, this place, when people say Babylon was one of the wonders of the world, that's almost an understatement. It was so mind-boggling. It was so beautiful. It was so gorgeous that it's almost hard to overstate it. It really is. I've seen a lot of things in this world The Taj Mahal, drop-dead gorgeous, but it is not Babylon. The Red Fort, a house for 5,000 wives in India, gorgeous, but it is no Babylon. I've seen Machu Picchu. It is unbelievably gorgeous, but there is nothing in this world to this day to rival what Nebuchadnezzar built. It was stunning. There is a reason it stands out in the collective memory of the human race, and frankly, there's a reason that it gets ascribed the medal of gold in the head of the statue. It was that gorgeous. Nebuchadnezzar accomplished a lot more than people think he did, and at the end of his career, he's proud. It's time to sit back and take a rest. He did exactly what many of us would do at the end of our careers. He reaches around, pats himself on the back for a job well done. And honestly, what what what's wrong with that? We do that, don't we? We do. We come to the end of a project, we go, oh, that went pretty well. Is it wrong to know you did well? Probably, Probably not. I mean, I've done it. You've, you've done it. There's a whole aisle at Hallmark for, with cards for people who came to the end of a successful career. Everybody congratulates everybody at the end of a successful career. What's wrong with it? Except, except the Bible says the moment he utters one word of self-congratulations, he loses his mind. Daniel 4 and verse 29. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to jump in at the end of the story. That's really bad chronology, and it's not fair. That means you're going to have to go to your tents or your trailers or wherever you're sleeping tonight and read the rest of the chapter later on because I'm going to start at the end of the story. That's really bad chronology, but I only have one point to make, and I'm hoping that it makes that one point. And that happens to be really bad homiletics. Go down to the homiletics department at the college. They'll tell you you're supposed to have three points in a prayer. I've never had three points. I only have one. Hopefully, you remember it. Daniel 4:29 At the end of the 12 months, see, it's the end of the story, where there's a whole year that you've missed. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, "Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty?" He's on the roof of his palace. He's thinking back over his whole career. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, remember that fourth grade teacher who used to mutter when he graded your homework and cover it with red ink and say, that kid is as dumb as a bag of potatoes and he wouldn't even be in this school if his dad wasn't the king? Remember that teacher? You showed him. Look at what you built. Remember the 11th grade homeroom teacher, Nebuchadnezzar? Remember that one? The one who sat you down and said, you better prepare for a career in fast food because that's all I see in your future, Nebuchadnezzar. You better learn to say, would you like to supersize that? Because that is all your grades represent. Remember that? You showed them all. Look at what you built. One of those teachers is now teaching in the backwater of the empire in a mosquito-bitten village, and the other one died on the front fighting the Libyans because you sent him. out. Look at what you've done, Nebuchadnezzar. Look at what you've built. Against all odds. What's wrong with that? Doesn't he deserve a reward? Don't we still give out whatever the equivalent is of a gold watch now when somebody comes to the end? Don't we? I mean, what's wrong? What does he do wrong? He accomplished a lot. Except he didn't accomplish the one thing God asked him to do. And there's my one point. That's it. We could end now. If you use this one life God has given you, if you use this one short lifespan from the cradle to the grave, if you use this short bit of time that God gave you to accomplish everything and anything except the thing that God put you on earth to do, then you might be wildly successful by worldly standards, but you will be disobedient. Disobedient. I mean, no sooner did the words fall from Nebuchadnezzar's mouth than he hears a voice falling from heaven. That's it, Nebuchadnezzar. I have had it. You lose it all. You know, when a voice comes from heaven in the Bible, it only happens a handful of times. You should probably pay attention. It usually has universal application. I mean, think about the times when it happens. It's not all that common. It happens at the baptism of Jesus He comes up out of the water, a void. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God announces that the seed of the woman has just come to crush the head of the serpent. It's a big moment. Everybody should pay attention. God speaks his Ten Commandment moral law. God spoke all these words saying, when the voice comes from heaven, you should pay attention. Listen carefully, right? It usually has universal application. Verse 31. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. At the moment of his greatest triumph, he loses it all. What do you mean I'm going to lose my kingdom? I worked my whole life for this. I worked my whole life for this. It's mine. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, that is not all you're going to lose, verse 32. They shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. Nebuchadnezzar, don't, don't you understand what's going on here? These people do not love you. They don't love you. They're not loyal. You don't have these people's hearts. You are not as influential as you think you are. Nobody cares here. Once you've outlived your usefulness to these people, Nebuchadnezzar, they are going to put you in a field like an animal. Don't you understand? That's one of life's most painful lessons, isn't it? let's be really honest. In this world, most people only have use for you as long as you prove useful. Then it's over. They don't care. Nebuchadnezzar, don't you understand? They're not going to put you in a hospital. They're not going to spoon feed you applesauce three times a day, two sponge baths a week. You're not going to get a corner suite at Johns Hopkins with a 42-inch plasma TV. They're going to put you in a field. Why? Because you threw away what I gave you. You threw it away. You didn't use it the way I intended. Don't you understand, Nebuchadnezzar? I'm the reason you have this kingdom. I gave this to you. I'm the only thing that you have. When everything else in this world passes away, I'm all you have left. And Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not going to force myself into your life. I'm not going to force you into the kingdom of heaven. I'm not. And I have tried to get your attention. I sent you that dream. I showed you the head of gold would pass away. And that the only kingdom that lasts forever is the kingdom of my son, which stands forever and ever. I tried to get your attention. I walked through the flames when you tried to burn my servants. I have tried and and I have tried and I have tried and if you don't want me I'm not going to force it Nebuchadnezzar the problem is if you don't have me at the end you've got nothing else that's true for you too I don't know how many of you have had a brush with death but I can tell you there's a moment when you've got nothing but Jesus nothing one day we all learn it passes away my my youngest daughter, when she was really little, growing up so fast, I don't like it. On the other hand, I kind of like it because we, you know, I have an office in that bedroom. <laughs> but when she was really little, she she made a fort in the garage took a wardrobe box, you know the big wardrobe boxes for moving with the big flap on it, she turned it on its side and made the flap a door and she cut little windows in it and decorated it with flowers and filled it with teddy bears and pillows and she even wired it for electricity. It worried me a little bit but I was so proud of it I didn't shut that down. She put a bare bulb hanging inside a cardboard box so that she could go in there and read and she loved that fort and she loved that fort and she loved that fort until it fell to pieces And it came time to move, I'll never forget, I'm loading the truck and I'm pushing the last thing in and pulling the door of the truck shut and I feel a little hand pulling on my coat. Daddy! Yeah? What about my fort? Isn't it going on the truck? I turned around and looked at that sorry thing in a heap in the corner. If I would pick it up, it would fall in half. I said, honey, there's no room on the truck. Uh, Daddy, that's my fort. I love it. I made it. I know, honey, I know that's your fort, but it doesn't even fit on the truck. I can't. If I open the door again, half that truck's going to fall out. We can't, we can't take it. The tears welled up in her eyes. She said, that's not fair. I know, honey, I said, but eventually you're going to have to learn that nothing we build in this world is going to last forever. Nothing. And you know that's true. doesn't matter what you've built. In the end, all you have is Jesus. And if you don't have Him, when it all passes away, you don't have anything else. It really does come to an end, folks, for everybody. The moment comes where the last dollar has been made, the last property has been purchased, the last romance has ended, the last campaign has been won or lost, the last bet has been placed, the last drink has been served. The last lie has been told, and it's over. They will drive you from men, verse 32. Your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. Seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it, listen carefully, gives it to whomever He chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar, and the king, now at the pinnacle of his career, becomes an animal. Now, why would God do that? Seems so harsh, doesn't it? He just says, Good job, I did a good job, and he turns into an animal. I mean, it seems so harsh. Why does God do that? He's just doing what so many people do. Does God punish him that way because of pride? I'm sure that's a big part of the answer. That's the easy part of it. He's prideful. This is my kingdom that I built. Sounds just like Lucifer. I will ascend into heaven. I will sit on the throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the Mount of Congregation on the sides of the north. It is pride. There's no question about it. That's a big part of the problem. It's obviously part of it. He's speaking with the voice of Lucifer. But there's something else in this story you should not miss. I think there's a message here for God's last day remnant people. Follow me carefully. Listen carefully. Back in Daniel chapter 2, we meet Nebuchadnezzar for the very first time. I mean, in the book of Daniel. He appears in... Second Chronicles, he appears in Jeremiah, but, but really you don't get a character study of him until the book of Daniel, and he appears for the first time in Daniel chapter 2, and he wakes up in the middle of the night in a puddle of sweat, terrified of a dream he's just had, and Daniel approaches him in Daniel chapter 2, and he tries to explain the dream of the statue, Daniel 2.37. He says something very important to Nebuchadnezzar, and again, this is not a complicated point. This is so simple. Listen to this, Daniel 2.37. You, O king, are a king of kings, For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, He has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. Who, let me ask you again, who gave the kingdom of Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar? Who gave it to him? God did. What's the secret of Nebuchadnezzar's success? It's mind-boggling. The secret of Nebuchadnezzar's success is the God of Abraham. You don't want to miss this part. God gave Nebuchadnezzar that kingdom, and he did it on purpose. He had a design for this pagan king. He had a plan for Nebuchadnezzar. He was supposed to be a servant of the Most High God wrap your brain around. This is not just some heathen king who's a problem for the children of Israel. He's a servant of God in the words of the Bible. He doesn't know it yet, but that's what he's supposed to be. This is not just some foreign godless invader who happens to get lucky and sneak past the angels that are outside the city of Jerusalem and take the city. This king This heathen who ruthlessly conquers the world and burns down the temple of God in Jerusalem and kills the children of Zedekiah right in front of him and puts the king's eyes out and then leads thousands of God's children captive in chains to a strange land, somehow that guy is also chosen by God. Somehow. That's not comfortable at all. I don't like it. I read it, and I I don't like it. It's so much easier to say us and them in this world. It's so much easier. So much easier to say these are clearly God's people, and these people are clearly not God's people. That is so much easier. But look at this story. The chosen people of God are dragged away in chains, and a pagan idol-worshiping king is told by a Hebrew prophet, God gave you this kingdom. That upsets my way of thinking, frankly. I, I, I don't like it mind-boggling, but the lesson is really clear. Listen carefully. God will work with whoever he needs to to get this work done. God's purposes for his son's kingdom will never be thwarted by our refusal to cooperate. They won't be. God's purposes will be accomplished with or without us. Nebuchadnezzar is handpicked to be a servant of God. He's not the only one either. Cyrus was too. He was. Read 2 Chronicles 36, the original ending of the Old Testament. We've rearranged the order of the book somewhat, but that was the original closing book. And it ends with Cyrus, king of Persia, saying, I'm God's anointed servant, and he has called me to build him a temple in Jerusalem. God will work with whoever he wants to to get this work done. Now, when you meet Nebuchadnezzar, it's pretty obvious he's lost. He's not ready for translation, not by a long shot. He's still worshiping idols. He's killing people. He's arrogant and he's full of pride. But when you see the way that God patiently labors with this guy and the way that you see this stubborn king eventually soften and give his heart to Jesus and you hear that God gave him that kingdom, pretty obvious that God's chosen people are not just found among the genetic descendants of Abraham. True, that should be obvious anyway when you read the Old Testament. Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God, not a child of Abraham. Rahab, Canaanite prostitute. Ruth, Moab. God will use who He wills to accomplish His purpose. He's got His people all over the face of this planet. Revelation 18 tells us that they're in Babylon. That's why God has to call my people out of Babylon. People, what, Sean, what are you suggesting? People don't need to be a part of the remnant. Yes, they do. When you get called out of Babylon, you've got to come somewhere, and God's calling people into His remnant church, and we do need to be here. This is His last day remnant movement, no question about it. And our job is to go out there among the peoples, nations, kindreds, and tongues of this world and find those people and bring them home. told us to go find them, but if you and I won't do it, if I won't do it, God will find someone who will. It's always bothered me that there were candidates before Ellen White. Always bothered me. God uses Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because Israel kind of blew it. She was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. Read the book of Isaiah. You're supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. He puts them right in the crossroads of the ancient world so everybody could see them. Everybody could see the temple and its services and the sacrificial animals and ask the question, what is this? And they could tell the story of Messiah, but they didn't do it. They would not be a light to the world. So what does God do? He finds another person of influence to get the word out because his work will not be stopped by our indifference. God's work will not be stopped because we want to put different things on our agenda. God work will never be stopped because we don't think it's important. God will finish the work and bring in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. No question about it. They were supposed to be a light to the world. But in the end, they're so completely unfaithful to the coal that the Bible says they were capable of putting their children in the arms of Molech, a red hot iron they would cook their children to death. And the devil had to be laughing at that because one of these days, one of those firstborn children just might be the promised one. And he would have him killed before he ever got started. That's unfaithful. So what does God do? He rounds them all up and sends them back home. Read the story carefully. Where did they come from? They came from Chaldea. That's where Abraham came from. That had to be embarrassing with every little step across the desert. It is not just any nation that comes and conquers Israel, folks. It's the country they left. It's Chaldea. They're being sent back home. And God picks another influential Chaldean to get the attention of the world a man who is nothing like Abraham. In fact, he's still worshiping Terah's gods. He is. And he expects Nebuchadnezzar to do something for him because, listen carefully, God does not favor people for no reason. God does not raise people up for no reason. God does not bless people for no reason. If you are here listening to my voice, God has called you and there's a reason you're here. He raises people up. He calls people for a specific reason. You and I are not supposed to be sitting in the pews of a church holding them down in case the wind picks up. That is not our calling. We are not museum pieces in the church of God. He raised up a movement to move. He doesn't raise people up for no particular reason. He blesses people for a reason. What was the reason with Nebuchadnezzar? Listen to the Bible carefully. Nebuchadnezzar is described as a tree that is shade to the beasts of the field and the nations of the world. Daniel 4 verse 11. This is a description of Nebuchadnezzar from God. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of the Earth now that's where the message is always supposed to go, right This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all nations. Nebuchadnezzar is supposed to feed the world, its leaves, verse twelve were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. the beasts of the field found shade under it. the birds of the heaven dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Let it sink in. Nebuchadnezzar is supposed to be a light to the earth world wasn't going to happen in Jerusalem so maybe it could happen in Babylon of all places Nebuchadnezzar you think you think I gave you all this by accident you think we were bored in heaven and the angels pulled out a globe and we we blindfolded Gabriel and spun the globe and he dropped his finger on a country and we just blessed whichever one he landed on Nebuchadnezzar, don't you see I gave you all this stuff for a reason? God always gives us all this stuff for a reason. It makes you wonder why God raised this movement up on the most prosperous nation on earth. And it also makes you wonder why maybe we're sliding into ruins so quickly. God gave the remnant movement favor for a reason. There is something we are supposed to do. The children of Israel were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, and they didn't do it. So God sends them to Babylon. I mean, they're living like Babylonians anyway. Seems to be what they want. He sends them to Babylon, and when they get there, He shows them what was always possible if they'd only lived up to it. Right When they're out working in the fields, digging in the mines, laboring like slaves for their Babylonian overlords, suddenly God uses a young Hebrew prophet and the most unlikely man on earth becomes a believer. He shows them, here's what would have happened if you'd been faithful. A ruthless pagan is now called to do the job that Israel is supposed to do. And by the end of the story, Nebuchadnezzar singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Oh, he is not. Yes, he is. Listen. Listen carefully. Daniel 4.34, here's what he's saying. It was in our scripture reading tonight. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. Oh, Sean, that's not the song of Moses and the Lamb. No. Here's the song of Moses and the Lamb from Revelation chapter 15. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. All nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. By the end of the story, Nebuchadnezzar of all people is singing the song of Moses and the Lamb, and a pagan king is fulfilling the gospel commission. It's exactly like Jesus said. Do not think to say to yourself, we have Abraham for a father. I can raise up children to Abraham out of these stones. One way or another, I can assure you, God's going to get the message out. I don't know about you, but I want to be there when it happens. I'd like to be on the inside of that one, wouldn't you? I want to be the one singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. I want to do that. I want to be there. I want to be faithful to the call. And I don't know how to be faithful to the call. I'm just a human being. You're just human beings. And we have lives that are a mess. But God still entrusts us and gives us all this stuff so that we can get the gospel message out. I don't know what to do. No, neither do I. I'll tell you what we're supposed to do. Be faithful. That's what you're supposed to do. Listen to me very carefully. God raised this movement up for a reason. This is not just another denomination. Not a chance. This is not just one more expression of Christianity. Not a chance. This is not just a side note, an item of interest in the long development of Christianity. This movement has been raised up by God to do something very specific and to say something very specific and to be something very specific. And if we lose sight of that fact, if we lose sight of the fact that God wants this world to find very specific spiritual food in the branches of this tree, if we forget the mission and the message God gave, us when he raised this movement up, if we let go of the one reason God raised this movement up, then we are in danger of losing our minds too. We are. Do you mind if I ask some bold questions? You do mind? I'm going to ask them anyway. I'm just getting warmed up again. Let me ask you this. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to get distracted. I, I, I want to be clear. Let me ask this though, if a stranger stood outside your church board meeting with a glass to the door and eavesdropped, would they be able to tell what the God-given mandate of this movement is by listening? We gave the agenda for a church business meeting to an outsider, just handed it to them. Here, look at this. Would they be able to tell what the priority of our movement is? Or what it's supposed to be? I mean, would it be obvious as they looked over it that we believe Jesus is almost here? Would it be obvious that we have a burden for the lost? I've never been a fan of poetry. I really, no, not my thing. I'm trying to learn, you know, because the better people seem to love poetry. So I bought some books and I'm, you know, I'm reading it. There's one poem I've always liked. It was Lord Byron, and you've got to go figure. I ended up as an Adventist preacher, and the only poet I ever liked was a, a pagan hedonist. <laughs> but it was that one poem. She walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies, and all that's best of dark and bright meet in her aspect and her eyes. I, I like that poem because I used it on this girl like 27 years ago, and we've been married for 23 years now, so that one's pretty good. That one works. But as a rule, I, 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 don't, I don't like poetry. I do remember my first exposure to the English poet John Donne, though, it was in high school. One of those days when the teacher was going on and on and on and on and you got to understand young folks that we didn't have Twitter or Facebook, there was no way to escape the classroom, we could not get out of there. And we just had to use our imaginations, and so we're visiting different places in the world while he's going on and on, and about 40 minutes into his lecture on whatever it was, I still don't know. Suddenly an ambulance goes by the high school. Woo, woo, woo. It's so loud, goes right underneath the classroom window, that he stops mercifully. <laughs> and he walks over to the window, and he sticks his head out the window, and we hear him mutter a sentence. Ask not for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. We thought, well, that's weird. And he looks up and he can see that we're curious. Oh, no, teachable moment. We're trapped. <laughs> he starts right up again. Oh, that's poetry, kids. Oh, no. <laughs> Fell for it. It's poetry. It's written by John Donne. He wrote it right after he survived a terrible illness. It's a poem about death. Well, that sounded promising, you know. Poet's going to die. That's, that's got to be a good one. I remember he read us the whole thing. You, maybe you had to learn it. No man is an island entire to himself. Each man's death diminishes me, for I am involved in mankind. Therefore, sin not to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. He explained it. He said, "You know, they they all lived in little villages. I knew that. Most of my family still lives in little villages in Europe. They would have one church in town and." When something bad happened, they'd ring the bell and everybody would stop because something bad had happened and you're going to know who it is. It's a small village. He said, but John Dunn is saying, look, the question isn't who died. He says, because every time a human being dies, we all lose. We all lose. Human race gets a bit smaller and boys, don't you ask who's riding in that ambulance out there because don't you understand it's all of us in one way. Every time somebody's out there riding, it's the whole human race taking another hit from death. It's been like 35, 36 years. I still remember what he said. We're all in this together. When when somebody dies, you can't say, ooh, glad it wasn't me. Because it was. All of us have been made in the image of God. We all come from the same source of life. and That means we all lose when somebody dies. You might remember Jesus telling the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Pharisees praying big and loud. Oh God, I thank You that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even this tax collector. Oh yes, You are. And You don't get it. We're all in this together. All of us. He's just as lost as everybody else. That tax collector dies in his sins; we all lose. If the Pharisee dies in his sins, we all lose. You ever notice how Daniel always lumps himself in with everybody? Daniel nine: We have sinned against you. We. He understands. You don't get to distance yourself from everybody else. We're all in this together. We all lose something if somebody dies in their sins. All of us. Because if somebody dies in their sins, folks, they're lost. Lost. Heaven loses something. There's a, there's a peace ripped out of God's heart. Don't ask for whom the bell tolls. Tolls for thee. I wonder sometimes what would happen if we could actually hear a bell ring every time somebody goes to a Christless grave. Would that make a difference? Ding. Another one. Ding. Except you know it would be a lot faster than that. I can promise you heaven hears that. More than that, they feel every one of them. Because they know what Jesus paid for that person. Most days we don't even think about it. We sanitize the way we talk about it in the 21st century. We don't want to say people are lost because it sounds so negative. we talk about them like they're misinformed. Maybe they'd be a little happier and better adjusted if they came to church. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they're lost. If people were just misinformed, all they need is a teacher. If people are depressed, they maybe need a life coach. God didn't just send a teacher and a life coach. He sent a Savior because we were dying in our sins. We can't afford to misjudge even for a second how expensive it is for somebody to be lost. I know we don't want to say there's only one way to heaven. That's not popular in the year 2016. I get that. And I get the Bible says that there will be people in heaven who have never heard the name of Jesus. It It does say that, but you don't build your theology on the exceptions. How often do we think about the lost? I worked in the General Conference building for a little while. Let's pick on them. And there's a big atrium in the middle. And if you've ever been in there, you can stand on the west side of the building, look across to the east side, and there's all these meeting rooms in glass. And they're very busy. I'm proud of our church. They're working hard. They really are. And and late at night, I'd come out of my office and, and I'd stand there and just watch all those meetings go on. Those people work hard and they work late. I'd get tired of everybody criticizing those folks. I know them. They work hard and they've got a burden for souls. They do. I, I'm t- don't don't critique it. They're busy and they're hard, working hard. But I would stand there and I'd watch those meetings. And it, It's four meeting rooms across, three floors high. It kind of looks like the display at Petco. It's like all the cages, right? I, I would feel like putting fish food in the... And I would just stand there and I would remember what it felt like to be lost. The day you know. If Jesus comes now, I'm I'm lost. I remember what that felt like. I'd wonder, I wonder how often in those meetings the lost come up. How often do they come up in union committees, conference committees, church board, Sabbath school, the dining room table? Jesus came to seek and to save those people. How often do we think about them? What if if we could get transcripts for every meeting we've been to and take out a ruler and measure how much space was spent on each topic? How, How much? How much space would there be for the missing children? I, I once lived in this apartment building that was awful. It was a dump. I got fooled. I was a young guy, 18. Got fooled by the brochure. It said, executive apartments. It looked so luxurious. I signed up without looking. Life's first painful lesson. It was so bad. It was so bad. I used to lay in in my bed and look. out. I could see out the window, and I could see a guy who slept in the dumpster, and I thought, he's smarter than me. He's not paying for that. <laughs> And it was, it was, it was bad. And, and there was this soccer field next to it where people would gather from the community and play soccer. And there was this mom playing soccer one day. And she turned for just a moment, turned around again, and her son was gone. And I don't know why they thought it was so important, but he ended up on every milk carton in North America. They, they must have thought something bigger was behind this. He was all over the place. And we all gathered in groups and we combed the neighborhoods, called his name Michael. And weeks went by and the group got a little smaller. And a month went by, another group, but it's smaller. And then the other day I thought it's been 30 years since I thought about this kid. They never found him. I forgot. You know who didn't forget? His mom. Not a chance. Can a woman forget her nursing child, God says in Isaiah, and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget. Unbelievable. Yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. What if we could hear a bell ring every time? How would it change the way we live each day? We don't have a bell. So I've wondered what what, what could we do? What if we had a moment of silence every time we prayed? Just a minute of silence. Wonder if that might be the iron band around the stump. That brings a tree back to life. A, A very successful man comes to the end of his long and successful career, and he, he is successful. So successful when he gets out of bed in the morning, he can go to the window and he can look outside and he cannot see past the bounds of his property, even if he leans out the window a little bit. It's not because he's living on a big spread in the state of Texas, as impressive as that would be, that's nothing. Because this man could actually get on a horse and travel in any direction forever and never leave his property. Because the man in this story is Jesus, the man who conquered the universe with an unbeatable love and an unbeatable cross. And on one particular morning, he gets up and he goes out into his kingdom. He's looking for somebody he knows really well, and he sees him walking around on the roof of his mansion. And as he draws closer, he hears the man mutter, Is this not great Jerusalem that God has built? He feels a hand on his shoulder. He doesn't even have to look. He knows. It's Jesus. Lord, it's good to see you. It's good to see you too, Nebuchadnezzar. I've I've waited a long time for this. Lord, how how did you get that scar in your hand? Oh, that's right. You don't know. So they sit down and Jesus tells them the story. And his eyes fill with tears as he realizes how expensive heaven is. Lord, you really did go through the fiery furnace after all, didn't you? Imagine, he says, I thought Babylon was great. When he looks out across the city and his eyes fill with tears. How did you know, Lord? How did you know? Why didn't you just quit? Why didn't you give up? Because, Nebuchadnezzar, I knew. I saw the day you were born. I followed you your whole life. And I knew I could get you. I knew it. That's why I sent my whole nation to come and get you. It seems to me, Nebuchadnezzar, today... It was worth it. Imagine the king of Babylon at home in the New Jerusalem. Imagine you at home in the New Jerusalem. If God has given you what you have, there's a reason for it. When G, when Jean and I came to the Lord 20 a long time ago. It was phenomenal. And I, I remember, I still talk, call the the pastor was a big guy. He baptized us both on one arm. He did, put us both on one arm and under we went. I've tried that since and you really do have to be a big guy to pull it off. <laughs> but I've talked to him all the time. He, he's failing now. It's almost over. and We talk all the time. And he told me a story. He said, you know, you know that meeting? I said, how could I forget that meeting? There were like 72 people baptized one evening in that church. And took that church from like 85 in attendance to 385 in a year. And he said, I had to talk the church board into that meeting. I said, what? They didn't want to do it. Too expensive, too much hard work. Who knows if it'll work? I had to prevail upon them. So first, I held a little meeting in the church basement for free to convince them it would work. I am so glad he prevailed. I called him the other day. I said, you know, go back and tell that church board, (laughs) you're pushing 100,000 baptisms now. Don't you dare talk somebody out of it. Why has God given you what you have? Why are you here? What are you waiting for? Are you in the kingdom or are you out of the kingdom? Are you in the family or are you out of the family? Are you in the work or not? God's raising up a remnant movement in this world. And to be in a movement, you've got to move. And I know, it's scary. But Jesus threw himself all in, and tonight he's asking for the same thing from you. Are you in? Who are you tonight? Are you in? Just stand up wherever you are. Are you in? We're going to bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, as we stand here and we look over the wreck that is our lives, and we realize what price Jesus paid for us, how expensive heaven was and how deep your love for us is, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see the world the way that You see it. Lord, bless us. Give us somewhere to share Jesus with. Tonight, within the sound of my voice, there's somebody here who has always felt like God has called them And tonight's the moment to respond to that. If you have felt God tap you on the shoulder today, I want you to raise your hand and let heaven see it. I'll go look at the hands that are going up. It's the army of God. There are some here who have let things stand between them and Jesus. They need to make a decision. They need to come home. Did you feel God whisper in your ear tonight? Did you feel His hand on your shoulder saying, I want you, it's time to come home? Raise your hand, let heaven see that. Father, look at these hands. Look at these hands. We choose by faith tonight to believe that You love us, You have saved us, and You have called us. And exercising the courage that only you can give us, we will move forward. And follow the Lamb wherever He goes. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by AudioVerse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about AudioVerse,